Strange and terrifying things are happening on the battlefields of World War I. Things far more chilling than the terror of war. Fight and die because you're never going home. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters and players alike. We hope to bring you tips and tricks to elevate your game and develop the art of dungeon mastery. I'm your host, Louis Aponte, and these are your dungeon masters, Scott Labby and Bill Robitaille. Let's head to the dojo and see what they have in store for us today. Hey, Scott. Hey, Bill. What's up, Lou? I'd like to introduce Matt and Brandon from Never Going Home. Hey, hey. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. Scott and I at Gen Con 2019 were... Uh, lucky enough to spot your table and be like, you know, this looks really interesting. Plopped ourselves down and had a phenomenal time at that table. Loved the game. Absolutely loved it. We've been talking for a couple of years now of trying to coerce you into joining us just to talk about the game. No, I'll um, twist our arms. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I have to talk about the game. <laughs> of course, it, it took us a year to find the program so we can remember who everybody was. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I was like, "What yeah. was that cool game with the awesome artwork that we liked?" The, yeah, the that, that narrowed it down to every game we played. Yeah, so I, had, was, I was asking for specifics. <laughs> what captured me initially when we were looking at games was well, the name of the game, and then the artwork. And the artwork reminded me of I don't know, I don't know if you guys remember the comic book series Weird Weird War Tales. I think DC Comics yes. did it. Yep. And it was this awesome, like, kind of anthology thing with just, well, it was weird stuff happening during, you, you know, all these different wars throughout history. And this looked like it, it was peeled from the pages of, of that comic book. So I was like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Charles Ferguson Avery is the artist for the whole project. And the I mean, he's definitely inspired originally by comics. I mean, he, he, I think, I think he tried to become a comic book artist before he got into just illustration of uh, games and, and doing his own writing for role-playing games. But uh, yeah, so he's, that it looks like a comic is not, uh, wasn't it, just it, happenstance. Accident. Right. It's not happenstance. <laughs> like that's definitely it. Part right. of his inspirations. I, I had met him actually at Gen Con a couple of years before. I think it was either, it was either 2017 or 2018. And you know, I was working a booth and he came up and was showing uh, some of his art, some of his serialized art, which definitely gave me like a Jeff Smith bone feel. And his art was was great. We reached out and he did some work for one, one of our projects for Never Going Home. I'm sorry, for um, Wild Skies, which was our first game line. Oh, yeah. And so he did some work there. And then he, we started following his work. And he did this Inktober project with just doing a little doodle a day with this kind of weird war kind of stuff and he eventually compiled it into his own art book world war occult and we loved it so much that you know matt and i talked and we said should we just see if we can ask him if he wants us to do a game around this so we licensed the art and made never going home it was wildly successful on kickstarter and we had a second kickstarter and for some campaign books and uh, we have more in the future it kind of did about ass backwards. Most people do the game and are fighting to find artists, and you found the artist first. I'm jealous. I can that's, see how that the artwork in, inspired 
is inspiring. You know, it's very easy to look at that and go, okay, let's make something about that. Especially the way he did it. Brendan and I being role-playing game guys, like we get this art book. Like Brendan mentioned, he was doing the illustration a day. You saw the soldiers, you saw the gas masks, you saw the, the rotting, still alive sort of people. You saw the monstrous creatures. And that was just what he was doing. But then after that month was over, he ran his own Kickstarter for World War Cult. It's his dad actually wrote some poetry to go with it. So it's this poetry book and art book. And it really gives gives you this feel of like an artifact from the war, from a soldier's sort of diary of like, they're writing the poems about what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. And they're drawing sketches of like their comrades as things go from bad to worse. It already was so narrative, so 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 evocative of storytelling that yeah. uh, all we had to do was like apply a little bit of rules to it and just keep all of that feeling that came with the project already as far as like making it a soldier's diary and stuff like that. So our first, you know, our books, especially the core book, they have that sort of like collection of documents kind of feel where, you know, they're laid out with paper textures behind every page and we used handwriting scripts to do notes. We've got a, a one of our writers uh, focused on the fiction. So that's my sister and Brandon's wife, same person. We got her to write these these fiction elements. So you've got these telegrams, these letters back home, and it, it would that are worked into between the rules and between the spell lists and between the monster stat blocks and stuff like that. So you can read the core book as like a, a sheaf of documents about the war, which is how we built on the original pitch, basically the original art book of Charles uh, and his dad working on, you know, we just took it to the next level, right? To give it the paper textures, to give it the the rules, to add the fiction in, to make it a whole story. And obviously we've continued that through the other books with that uh, fiction theme, that that document sort of thing. We're even calling the the the, the campaign dossiers is the name yeah. of the, the, the current you know, we did we did our original core book, and then we had the the campaign dossiers are the you know six adventures that are connected together. We we did a second funding for that, so yeah, yeah. Um, that's the that idea of it being sort of a, a set of documents that all relates to the same thing is uh, it was a natural evolution from the origins of the art. When we did our initial Kickstarter, we worked with a local artisan who actually took some of the mm-hmm. core books and made hardback leather bound soldiers journal copies of them and like etched in like never going like scratched in never going home on the cover and it just yeah, it's it like was, a it was like was a great. foil stamp letter so it's a journal on it but then it was like scratched with never going home on top of that as if again this artifact sort of feel it's what we were going for that sounds nice. pretty cool yeah that must have yeah. been beautiful uh yeah. they're pretty great they're pretty great we uh, i think I didn't end up with one. I think we gave them all away to our our top tier backers. So uh, (laughs) I I forgot to keep one. (laughs) uh, Well, I think it was a question of um, how many, how fast can such a labor intensive item be produced? Not asking our artisan for more than was reasonable. So limited quantities. Brandon Viglioni of Strano Books did the work for that. It's out there on the internet. I'm sure he's got it on his, I should hope that he's got it on his CV that he did this work. (laughs) Tell us about the backdrop of Never Going Home. The elevator pitch is it's eldritch horror in the trenches of World War One. 
So during the Battle of the Somme, there was an incident that occurred that thinned the veil between our world and the world of the Others, which are these kind of supernatural entities, these unknown supernatural entities. And so now people on the battlefields of Western Europe are hearing whispers offering various forms of power in exchange to do certain tasks, which, you know, in a military structure can be very problematic because you don't know if your orders are coming from the chain of command or they're coming from some weird creature from the unknown. We definitely kind of lean into that element of, you know, you can be kind of whoever you want. You can be a British soldier, a French soldier, a Hungarian soldier, you can kind of all in a, a group together because of the way circumstances have unfolded. And we kind of lean into it being mission-based. We originally conceptualized the game to be, to have uh, just standalone missions. And every one of our books has some missions and we wanted every book to have something for players and narrators so they could say so you never end up with one of those things where you pick up a book and you're like oh there's like two pages in here that are relevant to me so we have all kinds of new either new mechanics new uh, features new uh, whisper paths which are our spells and various missions so as a mission based game we wanted you to be able to sit down at your table uh, you know if you're taking an off week between campaigns or if you're doing a convention game or something you could pick it up and play a couple missions and either have them be connected or not they take place on different fronts in order to kind of have that make sense we introduced something called the journey which is kind of your indiana jones traveling music right it's like that's what take, takes place between the missions where you know we ask all the players a question they're given a particular card because our game uses standard six-sided dice and standard playing cards and then based on the suit of that card you answer that question from a particular perspective uh, this is a selfish perspective this is a perspective of a relationship or a power dynamic or something of that sort based on that card that system itself is called the plus one system because in the dice mechanics you can add various things to your dice pool and it's just it kind of felt right there that system is used in uh multiple games that uh wedding games has done but for never going home it really felt right because we said what would a soldier have in the trenches they they had dice. Soldiers played dice all the time. And soldiers had decks of cards, and they had they played cards all the time. In the plus one system, uh, the dice mechanics never change. They're always the same no matter what game you're playing. And the cards can be flexible. And never going home, those cards represent your humanity. So as you, as soldiers and players, go through the game, you hear the whispers or you uh, need a certain bit of power to heal or prevent damage or to power your magic your magic spells or even just to lift the tractor off of your buddy you discard cards and you narrate again based on the suit what you give up okay i'm lifting the tractor off my buddy and now i don't remember my daughter's second birthday it's just gone it may or may not be social commentary on the horrors of war and how you are a different person if or when you come back than when you left that's my spiel <laughs> That's a pretty cool mechanic. It, yeah, it sounds cool. It was. You played it. It, it works yeah. out great. It's almost surprising how well it works sometimes because people get there, like Brandon just said, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a metaphor for the horrors of war. The whole game is in some respects the, the horrors of war, right? So like, we're not just talking about mud and trench foot disease and the, the fear of screaming shells and stuff like that. What if we make mustard gas into a monster? And what if we have like, uh, you know, sentient barbed wire that's coming for you? And, you know, it's just, it makes it worse than it was in order to emphasize 
that it was bad, I guess, is sort of a weird way to go about it. But that horror aspect, the mental toll that those things take on you, you're put in a situation where you are invited to give up some of your humanity in order to survive by the whispers, by the power, by the allure of survival. Will you live long enough to lose your humanity, you know, or will you just be killed outright by a bomb or, you know, whatever? That's kind of the situation that we want to put the players in with the game. I've seen it at, you know, my table and, and other play times when I've played the game, you know, people will have these, it, it doesn't matter what kind of character they've come up with or what sort of like kind of role they're playing, whether I've, I've had officers, I've had people that just want to be the like, you know, the, the fresh recruit or whatever, you know, you put them in that situation and they're like, oh, I think I can, I'm going to spend my card to make that happen. And you're like, all right. So, you know, you either ask them, which can be challenging, you know, you challenge them to add to the narrative, to tell the table what they've lost by doing that. Or sometimes if they've set up their own character, then you tell them as you as the narrator are like, okay, great. This is what that just cost you. And you can be very targeted in that delivery of the pain in that way, because they've already given you what their character cares about because of how they've set it up and how they played it for the first 20 minutes or whatever the setting. I've had lots of people groan, but I've never had anyone say it was bad. You know, they're like, <laughs> oh, that's the perfect thing. I hate you now, you know, um, <laughs> which I, I say that as a, as a comedy, but it is sort of like, yeah, I, the game is trying to scratch something that it was a terrible time and you can only read about it pretty much at this point. You know, like the, the records from that particular war are, they're written records. There's some audio recordings, I suppose, but like, first-hand accounts anymore you know so it's it's a it was in the air obviously 100 the centenary of the whole war has been in the air throughout the the 2010s and so we ran the funding for this game in 2018 so we were we were funding this game like i think our funding overlapped with the armistice in 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 19 or in 2018 it was like one of our posts as we were running our funding it was like hey it's like 100 years today since this thing was over it was just kind of culturally the moment to do it, I think, to, to revisit this particular point in human history. Which is pretty stunning that there were not more designers or developers or companies that were either recognizing that or doing something with that. Yeah, we had played The Grizzled, which we had gotten, I think, the year before at Gen Con, which is a fantastic game if you've never played it. It's a card game made by Simon, Kaban, whatever they say they are now. The, the fact that we as a company really find a niche that hasn't necessarily been filled at like World War One games or we have a game about ancient Rome. We really wanted to make a Sky Pirates game over Western Europe at one point. And so like these are things we wanted to we really wanted to do because they weren't necessarily out there in uh any appreciable way that we had noticed at that point as gamers. Uh so as gamers, these are games that we wanted to play and they just weren't there. World War One was one that was very surprising, especially around that time, was not being developed. Uh, it was very simple to play. It was very easy to catch on. Yeah. I don't think we had any issue whatsoever. It's a fairly simple rule set to pick up, you know, yeah. especially once you start like rolling dice and dealing with combat and those sort of things. The way you built the system, the tone is consistent throughout the entirety of the game. You know, sometimes in a role-playing game, you can you can lose the tone. Yeah. You get sidetracked. That ever-present sacrifice yeah. You know, that's around the corner in any minute. Keeps the tone a little bit heavy. And I think I think you need that, especially if you're you're dealing with a, a game that takes place 
during a war. And a lot of times wars are romanticized. You know, you look at 300, any of the Lord of the Rings battles, they're very, they're epic, they're sweeping, they're, but they're romantic. You know, mm-hmm. uh, never going home is 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 none of those things. It's <laughs> it, you know, it's it's heavy. It maintains that kind of heavy tone where uh, I'm it's I'm going to name. give something up more than a limb. Or, you might also give up a limb. That could ha- that could very well, well com- happen compared to piece of your soul. <laughs> the, right, right. What you're hitting on it, it was a deliberate choice. I remember us from when we were developing the game. One of our gaming buddies who was playtesting it with us was like, okay, well, what if I want to ignore my orders and go off and do something else? And I'm like, then that character does that. But you as the player roll up a new character who's still stuck in the trench because that's this game. Sure, you can tell whatever story you want about the other characters that went off and did whatever, but the people whose experiences this game invites you to explore are trapped in the situation and can't leave and have to go across the no man's land to get intel from the other trench because they were told to do so. And they have to come back now across the place that they now know is covered with mines and zombies you know to get back to their trenches you can't it is the point of the game is to put that situation where you are trapped in the war right we we found it necessary to remind people it is a cooperative gaming experience (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's a squad based thing you're not uh you're going if you're trying to remember if i have played it with just one person i don't think i have i think you could you could play just about any game with just like a single player but i don't think i have yeah it's always like you know you're going with your your squad mates but I think, Bill, I think that's a, a good point to bring up is, and we do this in almost all of our games, is we include a buy-in. You know, it's one of the main pages, the first pages in our books where we say, all right, this is the tone of the game. This is the feel of the game. This is what it is. If this is the game for you, then great. Or if you agree to this, then that's this is a game you'll probably like or probably enjoy. Because we don't necessarily want someone to pick up the game and be like, wait a second, I thought this was a game about clown college and i'm like i don't know how you get that from the cover but whatever the entire feel of i'd know make a clown college game yeah mental note clown nobody else has done it (laughs) that i'm aware of but you know that's the that's the thing we we definitely call out the fact that this is a you know this is squad based this is mission based but also it is collaborative storytelling this is an experience that everyone, including the narrator, is doing. We're en- engaging all of this together. If someone's not having fun, if someone is not really able to dive into that wholeheartedly and with the support of other players and in a safe way as well, where they feel where they feel comfortable sharing and experiencing the game together, then the group maybe needs to take a step back and reassess kind of how they're handling that scenario. Uh, you also brought up, Bill, the kind of ease of picking up the system. I'm glad you you point that out. We've also used it most recently in a game called Heckin' Good Doggos, which is a family-friendly RPG, which uses the same dice mechanics, and it just uses cards in a different way. The system is simple enough and easy enough that you can play it with kids and even people who are new to role-playing games. That's uh, kind of the intent. Everyone has six-sided dice and everyone has a deck of cards. You can play any of our games. Well, I know at our table, we had, Scott and I have been gaming a long time. I've been role TTRPG for 
45 plus years. But I, but you know, we had we had two people that have been gaming for decades and we had a couple people at the table that were relatively new to gaming and it took very very little coaching at all. They kind of like were a little confused at first and then you know the people at the table as well as the game master kind of gave a couple pointers here and there but it was more of the I think it was more of the table that helped direct them. They said I love that. I've played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tabletop games. So for me I could pick up anything absolutely anything so i'm a slightly biased in that but i say that because we did have new people at the table let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor you're a new dm who wants to jump behind the screen maybe you've been volunteered by your gaming group but aren't quite ready you've been watching people play games online or on podcasts and you're thinking to yourself where do they come up with all that descriptive narrative there's no way i can do that well don't worry we've got a solution for you what if i were to tell you that I can put a team of professional writers alongside you at your desk while you're prepping your game. Sounds pretty good, huh? With Describe, we can do just that. These narratives vividly describe monsters, places, spells, people, you name it. It's there, and there are more than 6,000 of these easy-to-search-up, copy, and pasteable, beautifully written narratives right at your fingertips. Confidently read these narratives aloud in your campaign and impress noob and veteran gamer alike. And the best thing about it is, the library of narratives is constantly growing, and it's affordable. Describe has graciously provided us with a discount for our listeners. Head on over to describe.com backslash DMD. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com backslash DMD. Use the code DMD at checkout to try Describe for two weeks for free. Links will be in the show notes. And now, back to the show. And even Scott and I were talking afterwards going, wow, you know, they picked up, they jumped right in there. They, they, they had a great time because they had no problem maneuvering around the game mechanics. So kudos to you guys for that. Because I, I enjoyed it because I could just dive right into it. But you had brand new people that picked it up and it didn't take a mu- much more than like 10, 15 minutes and they were off and running. I love to hear that. Yeah, it, it's there's only one kind of die and it's dice pools. So, you know, you're getting sets of four fives and sixes to or fives and sixes to win it, there's not much there as opposed to doesn't bring in the other polyhedrals it doesn't bring in any additional math like we've done our first game was a percentile it was like percentile plus so it was like you roll your percent and then you roll your five up to five d6 to add percentiles to your percentile yeah and uh we were like uh let's make the next one easier and might as well uh, just bring back the thaco <laughs> I mean, it's it's a little more digestible than that. <laughs> yeah, well, with the we called it D6. we called it medium weight. Yeah, you know, it's it. They're cheap. They're easy to find. You yeah. know, most people have them kicking around in their junk drawer because they're from a game that they lost all the pieces to. There's low cost to get in on the game. I was looking at drive through RPG. It's like it's twenty bucks for a print copy of the book, mm-hmm. and and it comes with a PDF. So. I will also point out that you can also go to Indie Press Revolution and you can get the actual offset print run, which has a matte cover and glossy pages. It's a uh, higher quality printed book, also for the same cost, and it also comes with a PDF. So FYI, you have choices. Nice. I don't know if you want to talk about like our marketing strategy, but I mean, that is, especially at conventions, we found that like that price point, like people look at the game, they see the art, we've got a big poster of the cover, people stop and they ask, like you guys did, like, hey, mm-hmm. what's this about? And you're like, we now have seven books, There's you can buy dice, you can buy cards, you can buy a narrator screen, you can buy character packs of character sheets, all this stuff. 
it's all there available if you want to get everything but you only need this one book that's all you need and then it's twenty dollars and then people are like oh twenty dollars and like and all the other books are also only twenty dollars and so people very often are like oh well th- it makes sense and they, they buy they end up buying everything because it's a it's a sum that they can sum themselves when they're looking at the table you know digestible um, yeah. yeah i've also had the had people come up and say what's it about and i say eldritch horror in the trenches of world war one they don't even like flip through it they just throw a 20 dollar bill at me and walk away <laughs> as someone who definitely is a yeah, big could, collector of rpgs and board games like <laughs> even that i I'm, I'm not at that level i'm just like no i'm gonna let me flip through it see if i get if i'll if i like it but i mean i've had people like nope that's exactly what i want okay <laughs> i don't know man <laughs> yeah uh, it is definitely a strategy to to make the game accessible. Like you say, it's only 20 bucks yep. to get started. Yeah, let's hear some of what, what you got to say. Because I, I think that's yeah. important for people too. It, it, as I get older and crankier, you know, if <laughs> I'm going to spend my money on something, I want to support an indie developer that's bringing a quality product to the table at an affordable price in, yep. instead of a major corporation who's probably mistreating their employees and... Not giving them good <laughs> benefits, and um, I mean to that, well, to that point. To be Scott, fair, we're not giving our writers benefits either, but we are very small. <laughs> I wish we could, and yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. Like that's the dream, right? It is. Like you said, we want wanted the game to be accessible. Scott, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Everyone's got dice in their junk drawer. I always say, like, go to your grandma's house, open her box of Yahtzee, and take one of her decks for a bridge and you're good to go. And that's painting with a broad brush for grandmothers, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like everyone's got, everyone has access to a deck of cards and everyone has access to six sided dice. $20 is an easy price point. I, as someone who like, I bought my first RPG used from some kid who I used to play games with. And I used to like save up my allowance and ride my bike to the mall and go to the game shop and, and buy all the, the games I could. And so we wanted to make sure that like, yeah, if you want to come and play our games, we want you to be able to afford them. We're not going to necessarily throw a $50 book at you at every single corner of our table. In Never Going Home, I think not only from a, the content and the historical relevance and significance and the art that we really wanted to show off. We pride ourselves on being an art forward game company. We just wanted people to get it in their hands as quickly as possible. We also have made the conscious decision to, with, with our offset print run, we print domestically. We've only printed one product offshore and that was our Zhangshu Blood in the Banquet Hall just because the quality and all of the components and everything there was no company domestically that could produce it in the manner that we wanted to do it. But printing our books we were 100% able to do that and we could print in volume in order to get that price point to make it accessible. That's our business model. I want you know 6th grade Matt and Brandon to be able to afford to pick up a book and play it. I was trying to remember what is the first book that I got. It was probably a Rift's book. It was probably a Rift's book. It's the first role-playing book that I bought. Mine was the old Palladium Robotech book. Robotech. Oh, I love yeah, those. I, I have the those. whole set. I have the whole set as well. Yeah, yep. that's I, what this I'm, whole shelf is right here. Yeah, all... I've, never, I've never thought, like, what would middle school me have purchased this book? I don't know. I, I Maybe. Maybe I would have. I don't remember. I'm I sure. would have. <laughs> I, even yeah, at a young definitely. age, even at a young age, I was dark. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I definitely had my uh, morbid middle school phase for sure. Uh, you guys bring up some really good points, you know, and I think that's that's important that you did that. You've made a very conscious effort 
to make the game accessible, not just to those people that have an excess of disposable income because not everybody does. I've always felt like there shouldn't be an extremely high price point to getting involved in the hobby. And, and it's a pretty broad hobby being a tabletop gamer, there's got to be accessibility, right? That's how you get new people into the hobby is, is a book like this that's attractive. Looks like you could probably get much more than $20 for it. We wouldn't want to charge too much for it, but yeah. But it's, it's one of those things where you can look at comps in the industry and be like, yeah, we could, we could. We've made the decision that we're, uh, especially at this point, we're not going to, but it is a it punches above its weight for a $20 book. And one of the things that I love about being in, uh, we're, we're members of the Indie Game Developers Network, and we talk regularly with various members kind of about, about that strategy. And people say, oh, well, how did you make this so popular? Or how did you, you, let's talk about your convention strategy and how you talk to people about your game. And ultimately it really just comes down to engagement and accessibility we're always willing to talk to people you know any fan or supporter or even if someone picks it up and just looks at the back of the book we never want someone to to come and have a question and leave with that question unanswered and the fact that you print domestically i think is great it's huge yeah I, because you could print for far less mm -hmm. overseas and make far more profit but you choose to do it over here because you want to maintain that quality and it says something about the integrity of your organization that you do that sort of thing. Just on a practical method, shipping is, especially recently, shipping is expensive. I don't actually know where the printing facility is where we it do is it. It is in Tennessee. Tennessee. It's not, we're, and we're in Kentucky, so we're right next oh. door, basically. If we if we really, really had to, we could go oh, in a van go. and go van pick up get whatever ourselves. we needed. We don't, but could. We have a great relationship with our uh, with our printer. We love uh, we love working with them, and we will continue to do so as long as you know they'll have us. We got stuff to send them soon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We just sent them stuff. We got more stuff. We got a reprint to send them. So now that now that you've gotten everybody interested, I hope so. Right, what can we look forward to? Is there any other supplements? You got a pretty decent sized library of game supplements. Enough yeah. to keep you going for a while, but is there is there anything in the future planned? So let, uh, before, let me give you the real quick of the, here's what we have, and then I'll let Matt oh yeah. okay. give you Perfect. what's coming. So what we have definitely in our, with our first Kickstarter, we did Never Going Home, which is our core book, Everything You Need to Play. The Book of Whispers, which is kind of our magic book. It's got got some adventures, got some new magic paths, creating magic constructs like automatons, and then, you know, creating some other rituals. And it has a corruption mechanic, a corruption pool mechanic for the narrator. We have our Tome of Corrupted Beasts, which is our bestiary. It's got 24 new monsters. Some of my favorite art in the entire line is in that book because Charlie is awesome. And then we have uh, Once More Unto the Breach, which is a book of a whole bunch of different standalone missions written by people all over the industry. And then our second Kickstarter, because specifically, you know, we said it was mission-based. We had so many people say in 2019 when you all played it we love that we could play individual missions but we would love to play a campaign so we got some of our our writers and developers and designers together and we came up with three new campaign dossiers which take place in 1915 16 and 17 it's uh bones in the dust which is hunting eldritch artifacts during the battle of gallipoli blood on the snow which is the rise of to the russian revolution with a demonic rasputin and then which has my favorite cover art in the entire line and then we have tears in the sea which is um, that so good. Naval, it's naval combat 
in the North Sea on a Geiger-esque U-boat that ate its former crew. And that one uh, was also, uh, the lead writer on that was Tristan Zimmerman, who's a former Navy man himself, who also just won a judge's spotlight any this past year for uh, his uh, book, Shanty Hunters. Those are fantastic. Every, the entire line is great. And Charles Ferguson Avery has done the art throughout the entire line. It is consistent visually with what you would expect if you already picked up the core book. Matt, tag in. <laughs> Go! Right. Boom. So, as Brandon mentioned, uh, we've got a... I don't actually remember the process of narrowing it down, but we were like, well, we've got to do Rasputin, so that's 1916. Let's do Gallipoli, that's 1915. And then I don't remember how we ended up with the, the U-boat. I think, I guess, because it's the return to the U-boat wars that mm -hmm. lead to America getting involved and stuff like that. So 1917, the U-boat stuff. Obviously, the war started in 1914 and ended in 1918. So the smart money would be on uh, us filling out the line and I think that is that that is what we now intend to do, especially after this year. I mentioned I don't know if I mentioned her by name, but like uh, Sarah Orayton is our uh, fiction writer for the series so far, and she worked the our our booth at Gen Con and got to talk to people about her work and the work in general of of the game and stuff like that for the first time because she's been at other booths before and obviously she's talked to us about it. But like she was super inspired coming back from Gen Con this year. To, to write more because she got to talk to the to people who were like, oh, I love World War One, And then she's, she knows so much that I think she must have talked to somebody about all the battles of Ypres because that's what she, that she keeps mentioning that like she wants to do stuff with Ypres. But, but inspired by her, like we, she and I had kind of independently come up with the same thing. So our 1914 book, even though that's well before the, the magic unleashing at the Battle of the Somme in 1916, obviously it, it can't have started all at once. And we already kind of explored that in the 1915 book that like there's some precursor things that are being set up. So to take that back further into 1914 and po basically postulate that the war itself was started in order to weaken the veil between the worlds so that this corruption of humanity could begin in earnest and, and setting a lot of stuff within the Austria-Hungary doing a lot of like cloak and dagger stuff, military intelligence, like where's the royal family gonna be and who's gonna access to them and how they're vetted and like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like, and there's also, cause there's so much tension within the Austro-Hungarian empire with the ethnic minorities versus the royal family. And then the, the assumptions about who's gonna come to what side in a, in a future conflict and stuff like that. It's a very, it's a very tense, I mean, it's literally, as history would prove, the powder keg that goes off and gets the troops moving in 1914. So to set a game, to put the players in that in that powder keg before it explodes and let them play around with all of those different conflicting things with the Bosnian separatists and the military intelligence of the empire and the machinations of the royal family and stuff like that. So you now know, everyone who's listening to this podcast, as much <laughs> as we currently know, because that's the discussion that we had and that's what we're going to do, but we're we're still putting writers in place, and obviously nothing is is down yet. But that's that's going to be the first one, 1914, and our 1918 book, I think, because we focused on Austria-Hungary in the 1914 British and especially the ANZAC forces in in the Gallipoli book, the Russians on the Eastern Front in 1916, and the German Navy in 1917. We haven't addressed the Americans, and so the 1918 book is going to be the Americans show up. 
And because I'm an American, I, I think I can talk some smack about my own country. Like I think my <laughs> goal for the America book is that the Americans show up and start kicking a bunch of butt, but it doesn't make the situation any better. Like it, it, they make a mess, they, they come into a messy situation and they make the situation more messy, I think is how uh, I want to approach the America book. If you- it's definitely if you stirring the, a pot. Are uh, you going to have anything related to the Spanish flu pandemic that happened around that time and, and have it have some <laughs> correlation with, oh, I see. Brandon's got a big smile on his face. I, you want to talk I'm about doing it, a, Doing a Muppet dance. Actually, it was funny. Funny you mentioned that, Scott. Uh, this is actually something that we uh, have up for free on uh, to anyone. Uh, it's up on Drive Through RPG. It's called "You Can't Fight What You Can't See." Uh, one of our writers, uh, Vladimir Bradovich, approached us. Uh, when everyone was pretty much locked down during the pandemic. He uses Never Going Home and has historically used Never Going Home as a tool to tool for uh, some veterans that he uh, has worked with just to kind of like during that time, just get together, have some camaraderie to talk about some issues that, you know, that they were going through. Uh, and, you know, in a time of, of deep isolation, uh, he was using it as a tool to connect, which we thought was fantastic. And he came to us and said, hey, would you all mind if I wrote this mission as kind of my way of processing the pandemic? And we said, can we lay it out and give it away for free at conventions? And he says, absolutely. I don't care. Like, that's great. So it's available to anyone and everyone. And so Scott, we definitely cover that and it's uh, widely available. It's uh, awesome. We funded the dossiers in 2020. No, it was, yeah, we funded them in 2020, but the production was, oh wait, no. 2019. 20, 2019 is when we ran the funding. I don't know. I've it miss, It misses up, but. Definitely, I was working on, I, uh, I say I was working. I was supposed to be working on them throughout the beginning of 2020, and I did not. And so the production was delayed a lot, and, and all of our writers were in the same place. Like, I, you know, the creative juices were not flowing in March, April, May of 2020 oh, yeah. very strongly. And so we were delayed in delivering the Kickstarter, and so that adventure from Vlad is, it was a very small recompense for the delay in the production, but it was sort of an acknowledgement of the, these were unusual times in 2020 and it reminded a lot of people of 28, of 1918. So we did, we did uh, tackle that at least uh, in some way with that one adventure. So Scott, yes. <laughs> yeah, the the answer is yes. The answer is yes. In case he got lost on the talk, so we're apparently we're talkers. Well, it's I mean, podcast, so that's a good thing. I was like, you you did this to yourself. Like, hey, you guys want to talk about this? Like, yeah, we do. <laughs> do you're going exactly where we were hoping you were going to go. So where where can we find Never Going Home? You, you glossed over it, but, you know, give us some details. Where's all the places we can find this? Find Never Going Home uh, for print on demand and in PDF, uh, drive through RPG, along with uh, all of the rest of the uh, Wet Ink Games catalog. Uh, you can also find it. Uh, these are our offset print runs at IndiePressRevolution.com. And you, like I said, it's our offset print runs. If you like the matte feel of the cover, glossy pages like I do, that you can get get them there again along with the the majority of the wet ink games catalog that has all of our stuff you can also find it on 
uh, at wetinkgames.com, but that's going to direct you to uh, either one of those sources as well. So, I mean, and I mean, IPR will sell to friendly local game stores. So, no, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. If you want to support us and a friendly local game store at the same time, you can have your friendly local game store get it from IPR and uh, they may already have it or they may be able to get it. And I think there's, there's a few other distributors that a few other channels that you can get it, but those are the main ones. Um, I, actually, I, I would also say you can come to uh, see us at a convention. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we'll we be. were just at Gen Con. We were at Origins. Uh, we'll be at PAX Unplugged come December. Granite we, State Comic Con. Yeah, we're going to be at Granite State Comic Con. So if anybody in the upper uh, northeast uh, wanted, wants to come to Manchester, New Hampshire, the middle of uh, September, uh, we'll be there. We'll have our books there, hanging out, playing some games, and uh, selling selling some books. One of the things I really love is hearing, you know, we just got back from Gen Con, as Matt said, when retailers will come up to us and either one, uh, ask us like, hey, can we make retailer purchases here and take stuff home? We're like, absolutely you can, but you got to come on Sunday because we want to sell to people who are here first. <laughs> but also when they come and say, we can't keep this on the shelves. I'm like, great. I love it. Keep it up. <laughs> order more. Yeah, <laughs> order more. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. Yeah, it, it also helps too, because when we do other, we have people who we see year after year at you know, mm-hmm. Origins, and because it's been our second year at uh, at Origins, this will be our second year at PAX Unplugged. We've been going to Gen Con in some form for a long time. We love when people come up and the first thing they say is, hi, followed quickly by what's new, and they will just grab whatever is new. Uh, whatever books they don't have from that we've released that previous year. And our goal for next year at Gen Con is to have six to eight new products at Gen Con that we didn't have at Gen Con this year. And that's never going home with Matt and Brandon from Wedding Games. We'll see you next time in a dojo. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day.